looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mmm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm -mm Mmm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. Hey, I know we have a lot of horror fans that listen to our shows, and I know things have been tough for everybody across the board these past six or seven months with what's been going on in the real world, but I wanted to make a suggestion to you horror fans, because I know part of the normal routine year in and year out is to attend different conventions to meet some of your favorite horror stars. However, none of us have been able to do that because of obvious reasons. But I do have a little suggestion for you. SignatureHorror.com Now, some may ask, what is that? Well, they obtain autographs for the fans from some of their favorite stars, from some of their favorite franchises. Whether it be the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and many more. They have different options such as, besides getting their autographs, you can do live Zoom calls with your favorite stars. You can do personalized videos for people, greetings of some sort. They just have many options. So if you're looking for to spend some money that you may have spent at conventions, check them out and see the options they have SignatureHorror.com That's right, SignatureHorror.com
Are you annoyingly even keel? E-methamine could be right for you. I have a disease, alright? I need help! E-methamine lets you get gagged up on whoop chicken parts without yellowing one's teeth. Contact your doctor today if you experience the following. Oh my god! Increases in blood flow, boost in testosterone, ending of erectile dysfunction. You're naughty! This medicine is made for extreme cases of being keel or having extreme depression. Oh, come on! Side effects include fits of rage, acne, bleeding in folks around you, whooping cough, hallucinations, comas, trouble swallowing, decrease in semen, increasing amounts of selling yourself, amnesia, night terrors, higher mortgage rates, and increased sensations in not having suicidal urges. Oh my. Anthony DeLongis, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc, Jonathan Steele. And I'm Elena, your favorite host from the Emerald Isles. Boy, do we have a good one for you today. This show we're going to be talking about is brought to you by the fine folks at Brazooka Bunny and Sidekick Cinema, LLC. The title of this show is called Stars, Stunts, and Action, and it's truly an entertaining show. I was watching it today, actually, and it tries teaching fans the action behind the action with both action films, but also with the stunts that go into them. We have a couple of the gentlemen involved with the show here today. It's hosted by Mr. James Houston, Mr. Jason McNeil, Michelle Lee, who is not unfortunately with us and probably good because how this conversation's been going. <laughs> I'm sure Michelle can take care of herself and sling it with the best of us, but yeah. <laughs> uh, and that voice you heard there, recent guest, Anthony DeLongis. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Great. <laughs> uh, we're we're, we're, we're going to be that Great. kind of here. Good. Great. Great. <laughs> Anthony, oh, it goes back to what you said a few minutes ago about the vocabulary. Oh. So, no, you know. We're doing great. We're all. Uh, we're all in different parts of the country, um, you know, and we're all trying to get, uh, you know, back working together again because we enjoy it so much. And it's always uh, such a fruitful collaboration. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to where we can all be in the same place at the same time again. That's Absolutely. for sure. Funny, you ask what kind of day we're having. I had a moment. I went, um, as I said, I often go to Starbucks. Um, a bit of a caffeine addict, and I got there, and oh, oh dear God, they didn't have uh, equal. I had to use Splenda, and I was really annoyed for about five seconds. And I thought, you know what? This is the very definition of white people problems. I'm like, they didn't have the correct artificial sweetener I wanted at the at the Starbucks. Damn it! Oh, why should so, it yeah, sound like you're going to go I, into the George Carlin bit? <laughs> <laughs> hey, George Carlin was a huge artistic influence on me when I was a kid. I tell you what. Me um, too. Can we um curse on this so, show? You can say whatever the fuck you want. You can name the eight words you can't All right, say. Shit piss, <laughs> shit piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, tits, fart, turd, and twat. 
uh, when I was first coming up, uh, George, Good man. George Carlin, I'll always have sort of a uh, bad spot. Uh, he was such an influence for me. And he was, he came to my hometown uh, when I was writing for the newspaper. And I tried to set up um, interviews and whatever, something to do. And when you're doing those, you never find out until the last minute if you're going to go to the show or not. And it didn't happen. I had bought a copy of George Carlin Class Clown on vinyl and was going to have him sign it for me. And I didn't get to go to the show. And I thought, oh, well, I'll just go to the next show. And then he passed away. And I was like, damn it. You know, I've learned not to say next time. Uh, do it now or don't freaking do it. Well, you know, that's one of the things about our show that's probably really. Um, oh, yeah. We're talking about our show. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that, <laughs> that's so important because this is, you know, how this came about is um, us wanting to sort of give an homage to the people that we that we really care about that have influenced us and, and uh, have influenced the media and entertainment that we see all the time. And sometimes there are a lot of unsung heroes in that. And so it's been a great opportunity for us to go and, and, you know, introduce the public to the people that have been entertaining them for years and, and they maybe not even know their names, you know, in, in mixed in with some names that you would know, um, you know, with the, with the stars that we interview. But it, it sort of came from that fan base of us just wanting to go in and ask them the questions that everybody else was probably dying to ask them but never had. Exactly. Well, I do know in my email exchanges today, or this afternoon, I should say, with Jason, because I was watching the series because I saw all six, and he said he had an interesting story about a legend that I so would love to talk to because you hear her stories all over the place about this man. Judo Jean LaBelle. Jason, you want to start off with that story? I don't know. Believe it or not, much as I like to talk about myself, I think Anthony tells this one funnier. He was, um, remember the first time Jean choked me out, Anthony? Yes. <laughs> Do you want to tell that one? <laughs> uh, you go ahead, but if, uh, you know, if I have anything to add, I will. Oh, I was just kind of proud of myself. Um, Gene, one of the ways that we ended up doing this is when I, you know, when you're, when I'm in the middle of something, I don't like to be a spectator. I like to participate. So we're down there, we're filming with Gene and Gene needs someone to volunteer to be choked out. So perhaps. No one ever thought it. Never volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, quite frankly, I had, um, I learned neck gong uh qigong from my kung fu teacher and even you know henzo gracie tried to choke choke me out and couldn't i thought i was unchokable and so gene settles in behind me and starts doing his thing doing his thing and next thing you know i'm waking up laying on the floor and i'm like oh my god and you know you're getting whatever and, and gene leans over in that voice of his you know he's got that uh what do you call sandy red and white he's got that red and white hair and he's leaning over and he goes so tell me what did you dream of? <laughs> and the first thing that came to my mind, I said, I said, ugly redheaded old women. <laughs> and then Gene laughed and accidentally spit in my face when he was laughing. But still, I'm, uh, even though it was a lame joke, I'm proud that I had enough presence of mind to say anything at that point. But yes, Gene, uh, Gene LaBelle was the one person who has ever successfully choked me out. If you are, uh, and if you watch the show, they managed to prank me with it as well. They uh, had me had me thinking they'd cut my hair while I was out. You beat me to the punch. 
Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. you, you were there. Um, uh, I'll add something after, but uh, yeah, I was. I, I wasn't at that particular filming. I uh, saw the footage and heard the stories afterwards. Oh, yeah, but you yeah. know, Anthony. Anthony uh, had been around and had known Gene for a long time, and um, that was really how he. We start first started talking about about Gene because he's just this legendary guy that has been in the stunt industry for so long and everybody knows and everybody loves. And, um, he's just, he's just a great guy. Yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. He's, he's helping a lot of people in the business. I first uh, heard about him. I started studying with, um, Guru Dan and Asanto in the, uh, mid eighties. And, uh, and then he used to talk about Gene. He was, uh, one of the, um, it was, um, judo gene and um small circle jujitsu uh who am i trying to think of james wally j yeah wally j um that's two two people who he had a world of respect for in terms of their grappling skills um and i went oh that's pretty neat and a little somewhere around in there i did a hardy boys um <laughs> is this the one where you had those shorts on Oh yeah. Well, I Fairly had the shorts on that um, that Joe Lewis had on in Jaguar Lives. You know, that <laughs> you've seen that afterward. You're just kind of going, "Oh Lord, I can tell you religion." But shorts uh, <laughs> <laughs> talk. Shorts talk. What rabbi did the work? They they, they came into. Uh, so I'm doing. I'm, I'm 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 playing essentially the red herring for you know the whoever the bad guy might be in this particular episode, and uh, I'm teaching a women's defense uh, class, and. At a crucial moment, uh, they bring in a double for, um, you know, the star of the show. Um, and it's Judo Jean LaBelle, you know. And one minute I'm giving my line. And the next minute I'm over his head. And he's doing something like you're ordering Japanese food uh, over Manriki Gusari, you know, slammy on the mat. <laughs> uh, and I'm going, and I thought I knew how to fall. And I didn't fall as well as I could have. And I'm just kind of <laughs> I kind of offer my hand and go, it's a pleasure to meet you, Mr. LaBelle, sir. Uh, but that was, that was, <laughs> but he, um, he, uh, as, as these gentlemen were, were um, uh, instrumental in my being um, nominated for instructor of the year for Black Belt Magazine um, back a couple of years ago. And Gene was on the cover. And um, you, you, you fellas called me up and said, oh, you got, you know, did you see the magazine? I went, no, I, I, I live up on a mountain. Uh, we, we, we don't get deliveries up here. But um, the first person to call me to congratulate me was Gene LaBelle. You know, he's on the cover, but he's kind of saying, ah, you're my hero. You know, I just wanted to call him. You know, I gave, gave him my congratulations. You know, and it was like, it was really very nice. He's a gentleman. Yeah, but complete badass. Well, oh, well, actually, we, as soon as you hear Gene go, don't worry, this won't hurt me a bit. <laughs> Start worrying. You're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he's, he's, he's. Well, Anthony's really in good, um, Anthony's in good company with it. Sorry, talk, 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 go. Yeah, no, he's, he's, Gene's legit. I mean, he's um, not only is a fantastic uh, stuntman and does, has done everything in the world as far as that goes, but his martial arts abilities are in, in, in grappling are, are frankly unparalleled. I mean, I, you know, there are a lot of different grappling people out there in the world that get a lot of credit for, you know, famously spreading grappling as a, as a 
superior method for ring fighting. But the truth is, is that Gene, Gene probably knows more about grappling than anybody on the planet. And uh, he's just a, he's an amazing wealth of information and uh, he's used all of that to his advantage as being a, a, a great, a great stunt man. And you know, what's funny. I, uh, friendly with uh, Roddy Piper's kids ah. and mm-hmm. his son Colt would tell stories that Roddy would tell about training and working with Gene LaBelle. And it's like, you shake your head, but they're absolutely true. You know, these stories are hundred percent legit. Yeah. Roddy, uh, did you read, did you read his book? The toughest man alive? No, I have not. I haven't had, I've been able to say it yet. That's some great stories, but one of them was, uh, okay, well, Gene's been in the business for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this particular one, um, it's a story uh, about him and Jim Brown. And apparently, you know, Jim Brown was doing that. Jim Brown, you know, like, don't know. Well, I, I watch uh, The Dirty Dozen. I kind of go, can you imagine trying to stop that guy when he has the ball and he's running? You know, when he comes with the grenades and throws them all in the... <laughs> And going, holy crap! There's a there's a train coming at me. Well, he uh, in this particular sequence, um, the coordinator brought, um, you know, introduced Gene to um, Jim Bryce. Says, you know, this is Gene LaBelle, and he's going to be okay in this fight scene. You know, um, you're going to do a little bit of this and do a little bit of this. Then he's going to pick you up over his head, and he's going to throw you into that wall. And (laughs) uh, yeah, Jim Brown kind of looks at him and goes are you and so you know they roll and and there's you know scuffle 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 break a table smash a wall and then gene all of a sudden you know there jim brown is up over gene's head being thrown into the wall and (laughs) what he said afterwards was i don't know who you are but i'm glad you're on my side (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) right on (laughs) we heard that uh, jim brown didn't want to be picked up over gene's head just to belabor the point (laughs) oh boy Uh, just to uh belabor the point gene uh told me once about when uh, he was a guest villain on the green hornet and he said you know they didn't know who this bruce lee guy was you know and the uh it was his first day and the stunt coordinator basically told him to go mess with bruce (laughs) and said go over and pick him up you know and and so gene gene goes over and throws him up over, over his shoulder and starts running back and forth and everybody's hooting and hollering and then he said, and Bruce is like, you put me down. I'm going to fucking kill you. And Gene's like, well, then I didn't want to put him down. I didn't know what to do. So we just kind of ran around for the longest time with Bruce Lee over my shoulder because I didn't want to put him down. Finally, we just sort of fell into a mat. And luckily, we laughed about it. But I was like, oh, my God, I poked the tiger. <laughs> you, know, um, you know the Brandon Lee story about Brandon and Gene? Well, no. Brandon was up and coming. And rightly so. I mean, you know, an extraordinary talent and a real tragedy, the accident that happened. But um, he was, you know, he was feeling pretty good about himself because, you know, he had a lot of skills. And apparently they uh, took him over to meet Gene LaBelle. And they just sort of told Gene to uh, you know, help, help give him a little perspective. So Gene basically rolled Brandon around on the map for a while. <laughs> 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 don't worry this won't hurt me a bit <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, my goodness so yeah, well, um, guess, it's like the time you um weren't you okaying for joe lewis i did i did a picture and <laughs> well, it was joe's first picture i met him on 
<clears throat> uh, Circle of Iron, where he was coming in and doing some doubling for, um, um, it was Cord, Alex Cord? What was his name? Uh, Cord the Seeker Cord. was the uh, character. Yeah. Uh, it was Jeff. Jeff Cooper. Uh, something, Jeff Cooper. Right. And yeah. um, so uh, they, they wanted a couple of inserts or a couple of reshoots that we did back in there. And that's when um, I met Joe and he said, I, I respect you as an athlete. Would you like to come and be in my movie? And I went, yes, sir, I would. And we went <laughs> to Spain and all kinds of stories about that. But Joe was the real deal. Well, at the end, we, we ended up doing all of our final fight sequence in a 13 hour day, making it up as we went along. And I was, you know, a lowly brown belt at the time. I kind of, I wish I knew then what I kind of, you know, the things I, I could bring to the table now. But there was literally a thing where at one point we're on this 16th century castle and uh, he said, okay, and now here I'm going to, oh, look, these tiles are loose. I'll pull off this tile and then I'll fling them at you and you'll dodge. And then <laughs> and so we're really doing this stuff. Um, there was, there was, there's another thing where we're supposed to fight with these pikes. Well, they give us these pikes and they've taken an out of quarter inch plywood made, you know, the halberd head, you know, the combination spear and ax head. So they're too fragile to actually touch. So we were going to actually touch them once, but we're up on top of this 16th century castle and it's about 60 feet to the ground and it's all kind of crumbling at the edges. You know, and Joe said, okay, now here, I'm going to do this and we'll kick and bump and then I'll sweep your legs. And, and I'm kind of going, can you not sweep my legs too close to the edge, please? <laughs> uh, but we had, we had these awful uh, pikes and we went, we had one move where, you know, I did this and I knocked his away and then we threw it and it went off and that was the end of that sequence and then we moved on. But um, I loved working with Joe. It was, it was, uh, it was a real hoot. But you, um, Jason, you have a story where you were ukeing for him, weren't you, at uh, Karate College? Oh, God, yes. Well, this is um, James and I actually met at Radford University. We both attended Radford University, which has an internationally known martial arts program. Um, we had, at, uh, at one point, I was training 15 times a week, like five of them were at dojo that James ran. At one point I was living in a dojo. So all this to say Radford is like, especially then was like Woodstock for martial arts. And um, the, prof the professor that was sort of the center of all this, Jerry Beasley, would have, he was a student of Joe Lewis, uh, Bill Superfoot Wallace, Jeff Smith, Henzo, uh, yeah, Henzo Gracie, Kathy Long, who Anthony later worked with on uh, Batman Returns, or I think previously worked with my timeline stuff. Anyway, there was a lot of martial arts going on. So young Jason had been a black belt for about 18 months. And at that point, he didn't know what he didn't know. Young Jason. And, and I was also getting into writing for magazines. I'd done a couple of things for black belt and whatever. And Joe Lewis was coming in to do a special uh, presentation. And Dr. Beasley arranged for me to have dinner with Joe and do an interview with him. And it was my first quote unquote big interview. And Joe I went in with all these visions of like Mike Wallace on 60 Minutes. And I asked Joe, I didn't know what a puff piece was. I asked Joe a bunch of really tough questions that pissed him off. And I just kept asking them for about two hours. And he just got madder and madder and madder. And then at the end, Joe says, you know, I'm doing this show. You want to come ookie for me? And silly Jason goes, yeah, sure. That sounds like fun. So I put on my best... Um, red and black satin karate uniform. And I was out there warming up, turning cartwheels. James was in the audience for this. 
And uh, there was supposed to be three of us helping him. And I think he worked with one, one guy for five minutes and another guy for 10 minutes. And then Joe just for an hour and 50 minutes beat me like I owed him money. <laughs> and I still, <laughs> I still have cracks like in the enamel on my teeth <laughs> from that. Uh, Joe was not, he was an interesting guy, very not one dimensional. He had his difficult qualities, but he was not heavyweight champion of the world for nothing. <laughs> He just beat me and beat me and beat me. And it's sort of like what Anthony was talking about when, you know, Brandon Lee, when they told uh, uh, Gene to go out and, you know, school him a little bit. There comes that moment if you're going to graduate to upper tier martial arts where you will just get your ass handed to you and you're like, oh, I'm in the big leagues now. And how you respond to that determines whether you go on or not. Uh, I think James... James said he was sitting watching that. We hadn't met yet at that point. <laughs> it was it was hilarious. Um, yeah. To me, it was hilarious. To Jason, I'm sure it wasn't. But uh, yeah, Joe was Joe was a lot of fun. And you know what was really interesting is is uh, Joe and Dr. Beasley and and um, Bill Superfoot Wallace. Those guys were such great friends. Um, and and uh, uh, Dr. Beasley and and Superfoot are still very very close friends and. And um, they had such a good time together. Um, but to see those guys um, and uh, get a chance to work with them was, was extraordinary. And um, Bill Wallace, you know, and, and it, Bill Wallace is also another character that, you know, hopefully we'll do uh, an interview with Bill for, for season two um, because he's been in all kinds of interesting films and he's got so many interesting stories about Hollywood and bodyguarding and, um, you know, and he, he, he's been in a lot of interesting places and a lot of interesting times. And I remember one time I, I asked, um, I asked Bill, uh, I had been pestering him. I was a young black belt, you know, and I'd been asking him 10,000 questions, kind of like what Jason did to, uh, um, did to Joe Lewis. And I was asking him all these questions. And, and finally, um, uh, we were eating ice cream cones on this, on the side of the side of the road. And, and Bill turns to me and he says, you know, sometimes there's a time for all those questions. And sometimes it's just time for you to shut up and eat your ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> that was my Zen moment with him. <laughs> I'd learned when to stop the interviewing process at, at, at that point, I guess. Guess it's uh, ice cream time, eh, boys? <laughs> you know, it's funny. If I may, if, if I may add, it's funny that Anthony mentioned, um, circle of iron and because we have that you know i always say in hollywood and in martial arts people talk about six degrees of separation there's really two degrees of separation if you're in any of those industries and we're in both um my favorite movie in high school was circle of iron yeah and <laughs> yeah the was you know um the that sort of fortune cookie philosophy really spoke to a you know, a chubby yellow belt who stuttered and had glasses, you know, you hear all these things like the way of the monkey is to play the fool, laugh at his antics and he bites you from behind. You know, this, this is all very profound when you're 14, 15, 15. That was my favorite movie. I must've seen it a dozen times. So when James and I were, did our first trip to Hollywood, we literally, Anthony, Anthony was the second person that we met in Hollywood, said we reached out to probably a half a dozen Highlander people. And Anthony was the only one who called us back. And he was nice enough to invite us up to his ranch and everything. And so I'm going, you know, we're literally heading up the mountain. There's a three and a half mile unpaved road to Anthony's ranch. And we're heading up and I'm sort of looking over his IMDb and I go, oh my God, 
this guy was Morthon in Circle of Iron. Yeah. And they're like, what the hell is that? And I was like, monkeys, monkeys, the first trial. And they're lo- the, the and the producer and James are looking at me like, are you having a stroke? What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and so we get up there and it's a set of Anthony was nice enough. He had us in. We set up the cameras. I start. I ask him one or two Highlander questions. And then I start peppering him with questions about Circle of Iron. That was a job he did in 1980, maybe, <laughs> and he was totally unprepared for. And to his to his credit, he was nice enough. He was just sort of like, um, well, as best I recall, and, and I'm just sitting there totally nerding out about this uh, sword and loincloth movie that I watched on Cinemax when I was a teenager. <laughs> hey, oh, there you. we go. Yeah, Anthony's showing us a photo. You yeah, this is, home uh, can't see that, that, yeah. well, Help me die with honor, I think, was the line. Yeah, it looks like you lost the coin toss, or or did you? <laughs> uh, better messing with the coin purse. <laughs> uh, luckily, um, luckily enough, Anthony so chose to find that amusing. Oh, boy. But, uh, but, it's funny, funny you mentioned that I'm sitting in my office, and that happens to be one of the pictures on the wall that I have. Um, that was quite the... Um, adventure it was my first um it was my first big picture it was my first location picture and i'm on a plane with every martial artist i have ever heard of you know are all flying coach because the producer flew coach and we're flying to israel which is a very long flight <laughs> um you know a lot a lot of stories along the way and um and then we get to israel lovely people um but you know we're picking up soldiers you know who are carrying um you know uh, M16s and stuff like that. I'm like, well, I'm not in Kansas anymore, am I? But we were at, um, you know, Bet Sean and Bet Gouverneur, um, and uh, the the limestone caves that were later in one of the uh, Sylvester Stallone's Rambo movies. Um, it's it's kind of like going to uh, the Grand Canyon here. You know, it's all the stuff that's carved out, and it's just very very beautiful. But you know, we were in the um, the Roman amphitheater and. Uh, doing all that stuff and Roddy McDowell, you know, as um, it was, it, it was a hoot. It, uh, I really, I really had a good time on it. And then I got to meet Joe after that. And then um, I got to work with Joe Lewis, which was, you know, uh, <laughs> I have done two pictures with, um, uh, Oh shoot. His name just flew right out of my head. I'm looking at David Carradine. No, no. Um, I did three things with, with David. Um, no, he's, uh, he's, he's the general in star Wars. Um, uh, Christopher Lee, um, you know, the first picture I did was Circle of Iron and um, I didn't get to meet him because we shot elsewhere. And then in Jaguar Lives, we're actually in a scene together and I still didn't get to meet him because, you know, we, we, we as one does in films uh, and uh, it's we haven't had the reveal yet that I'm the best friend that we that Joe thinks is dead. So that was kind of cool. But, uh, you know, it was a. It was always, I was, I was always hoping to meet Christopher, worked with him twice, still haven't met him. I guess I'll, I'll have to wait till the next go around. <laughs> James is one of the best martial artists I've ever encountered. Um, you know, I tell people that, you know, he has deep, deep knowledge about, you know, karate, but the real thing, not the, you know, block and, you know, go through some stuff. It's like, no, this isn't a block. This is actually designed to break something so that then my next punch comes in and do that. And then um, 
Uh, he studied with a gentleman named Dr. Desplussy. Is that correct? Yeah. Did I pronounce it Plessy, right? Who is uh, probably the best um, jujitsu man I have ever seen. Uh, and they did a demo for me one time. And uh, boy, can can James ever uke? Because you know, uh, Dr. Desplussy was he was not really <laughs> back. He wasn't like cueing him and then letting James react. He was like, eh, and James was like a down to the floor, you know, boom, bam, you know, uh -huh, yeah, that was good. And, um, and so that, that was very impressive. I still have that footage. It's, we should, we should do that again. <laughs> and, and, um, you know, their, both of their instructors was a fellow named, um, Simon Kwan, who, you know, was, he had fought challenge matches in, uh, Hong Kong. And, um, <laughs> he, he, uh, I, I first met him at karate college and, um, he, he, paid me the great uh he invited me to come you know to come train uh which meant we were outside of his chinese restaurant in the parking lot training it was very traditional you know uh which was which was really very cool and he <clears throat> i just done um movie with um jet lee and he said uh he said um you know when i when it was in class i said i'm not sure what this move is it looks really flowery and uh, if I, I would have a better idea, you know, of what I was trying to do, if you would show me <laughs> and see who Simon went, oh, well, this move is uh, here like this. And then all of a sudden in just the palm of his hand and the shift of his weight, I'm suddenly trying to support his entire body weight. He's managed to just focus everything. It's just like, I'm, you know, I'm dropped to my amazement. Oh, okay. I, I see that move is actually this. It's actually pulling me in and pulling me off balance, you know, to, so for a technique he's going to follow up on. And um, it was I, when I watched him teach at karate college, you guys tell stories that are legendary where uh, they would, they, they, again, Simon was the real deal and an extraordinary teacher and a wonderfully generous man, but um, he didn't brook a, brook a lot of bullshit. So um, he, you didn't really want him observing your class unless you knew what you were doing because, because he would kind of go look and, his arms were crossed the way you guys tell this story. And then he'd go, that not work. Prove to you that that not work because so they were, they, they, you guys were telling me, yeah, we, we, we have Simon teach on Sunday after everybody else is gone. <laughs> well, it was, it was interesting. And thank you for that, Anthony, but it, you know, it was, it was interesting because when the, the first time we went to the, to the ranch, um, uh, Anthony had been working on doing things with the whip that of course, nobody had ever seen before, you know, and, and as, as a pioneer in that, um, but not only just using the whip, just cracking the whip, you know, and obvious doing things with targets and things like that, but he was using the whip as a complete weapon, the length of the whip, using it like a rope, using it like a garage, using it as like a nunchuck you know, striking you with it. And, um, and so what sort of my background allowed us to, to be able to do is for him to execute a lot of that stuff on the, on a live target at full speed and, and to, to do, and we ended up doing quite a lot of it of experimenting. And I, I was happily his, his bouquet and practice dummy for, for, for a lot of that stuff, because it's just amazing. And there's nobody else in the world that can, that can do that. Um, and, um, so that was, it was one of those things that it just, it was, it was great happenstance 
that we were able to get together. And hopefully after this COVID's over, we'll get together again and see see what new things have been percolating in each other's minds. But well, um, it happens, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's it's always you know when 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 we get together, it's always it's always great. Um, you know that we, that we come up with these things and we start asking these questions you know, martial arts wise, and also, you know, having these great conversations over a, over a uh, uh, glass of a very fine bourbon, or maybe a cigar out on the out on the, the deck at the ranch, which is, by the way, probably the single most beautiful place in the world. Um, it's Rancho Andalo is is a place that if you've never been, you need to go um, just to, to be there and witness it. And, you know, Anthony and Mary's hospitality is is unequaled. Um, but um, you know that's really where we were able to sort of make base and figure out what we were going to do with Star Stunts Action because Anthony's um, was was so deep into Hollywood that we were able to reach out in so many different directions and and to interview so many people that we would have never gotten to had it not been for for. Uh, for him um, helping us to to uh, guide our way to the the people we were looking to get so is it on the ranch that they had the little prank of the cables <laughs> yes yeah that was uh, at the ranch the cable yeah yeah, yeah where, where we left jason in the in this in the middle of the canyon oh, 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 oh the zip line yes the zip line right <laughs> that was real. I don't that was a real double cables, or were they? Uh, yeah, no, the cable we sent him out, and then he yeah. slid back into the middle of the canyon. Well, it was um, yeah. One one of the things that we had, um, my neighbor used to work for the phone company for like thirty years, and so he he hung line, and uh, he had for um, you know his kid, he'd put up a little short zip line, and then we did one that runs all the way across the canyon. It's you know it's about. I don't know, 300 feet long or so. Um, and you kind of had to hold yourself. Uh, we'd get up on top of a ladder. It, it, it was safe. It was strong. It would hold 10,000 pounds. But, you know, it wasn't, you know, um, uh, it didn't have all the bells and whistles. So basically, we climb on a ladder up to the, you know, the top of a pole on one side. And then down you'd go and you'd, you'd get momentum. And you had to hold yourself into a tight L so you would clear the ground. And then all of a sudden it opens up and you're going across this Canyon and then you're rising up to get to the other telephone pole on the opposite side of the Canyon. Um, well, and what we had was a, um, a line where you grab the line and then we'd reel you in because you would start and accelerate and continue and you'd have, you know, and you'd be coming into the line. So if somebody came in too fast, I could break them, you know, I'd, I'd break them by hand. But if uh, you didn't catch that, if you if you didn't grab the line, then you would slide back into the middle of the loop, you know. And that's uh, we uh, for some reason we all thought that would be very funny. <laughs> it, yeah, and Jason was because well, as you heard about it, what is it? Um, oh, uh, Will Rogers, you know, he said comedy is what happens to somebody else. It's like when you're watching, you know, him ooking for Joe Lewis, you know, it was hilarious. <laughs> Seemed to be the guinea pig for a lot of things. Well, <laughs> Mikey likes it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, one one thing's for sure, Jason's pretty fearless about putting himself out there, yeah. you know, and asking the questions that people don't normally ask in interviews and and knowing stuff. Um, I mean, you know, his 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 knowledge base for 
you know, uh, martial arts and movie trivia and things like that is, is so immense. I mean, he really has a um, encyclopedic encyclopedic knowledge of this stuff. So it was a lot of fun because, you know, he would, he will ask questions that people are like, what? I didn't know, you know, just like he was doing with Anthony when we first met Anthony, it was like, I um, was asking questions that, that, you know, people just don't have the, the frame of reference for, you know, to be able to, to get into that, that deeper discussion about something really, really cool that other people aren't really thinking about, you know, cause there's a lot of like, there's a lot of surface interviews out there, right. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of people that are asking questions like, Oh, so what was it like when you did this, you know? And, it, and it's like, well, yeah, and that's good and all, but um, what we sort of brought to the table was something a lot different. You know, we were asking questions where, you know, the people we were interviewing were like, oh, wow, you know, nobody's really asked me that before. And that sort of became our our, our shtick with, with, with Jason doing that. And, you know, and so he's, he's always put himself out there. Uh, for that and not, not, and not being able or afraid to ask, not really, you know, and not, and not like rude questions, but just things that people don't think about, you know? Uh, it's one of the things that appealed me when we first talked about doing this show. Um, and it, it went through several permutations and it's still, uh, I don't think it's reached its full potential yet. And, you know, which is kind of what makes it uh, exciting of where we can go with this. But when we were looking at things, you know, one of the things we were talking about was when you put together an action sequence or you, uh, and you, you start to dissect it a little bit. And because, you know, we're all three, you know, action guys, we've literally spent decades, you know, training and learning things. So you see below the surface and it's one of the things that makes us appreciate, you know, something on film. Um, the most effective things usually require a certain knowledge um, a certain amount of, um, you know, dedication to train to the level to be able like you, what you watch Jackie Chan or you watch Jet Li or you watch, you know, um, you know, there's several, I just did a picture with Scott Adkins. Scott Adkins is also very, very talented. Um, you're able to do more things and they have a great credibility because you see them actually executing these things. But when you ask how these things come together so that you get that magic on film, um, there is a lot going on and between the three of us, um, we have different perspectives that we can help an audience more fully appreciate what was actually accomplished and created, you know, for them, because when you're, when you're, you know, when you're working in film and television and stage and all of that, the most important character is the audience. You, you're not supposed to be doing that. You can stay home and dance in front of the mirror, you know, if <laughs> but that's what you exactly hey hey you got some moves buddy but, um, not bad for in a chair yeah, that, that's that must have been the philadelphia shuffle but you know it's um you, you you always have to remember that you know you're doing this to get the audience emotionally invested in your character and their journey and it's just so much richer for everybody because of it so that's some of the things that we like to recognize and appreciate and, you know, um, help the audience see that, uh, you know, it, this is all very flashy, but that didn't happen by accident. There's so much that's uh, planned and articulated to put certain stunts together, which is most, like you said, most people don't realize. But James also mentioned about having points of reference in his uh, previous answer there. And you guys, all three of you have points of reference. If 
from many different areas. So how do we come together and say, well, let's bring this up in a season one, or let's bring in a judo gene, let's K and B effects and who we know those guys as well. How do we decide to bring all that stuff together? Um, well, well, may I? Sure, go ahead. Um, we found that we had this weird, like you say, different points of reference, um, weird intersection of skill sets where, you know, I actually came to this, uh, as I mentioned, I was doing magazine writing and I wrote for a newspaper and things like that. And was being a big movie fan, I ended up doing a lot of entertainment writing. And well, when I get backstage on something, well, I don't just want to, I don't want to see how you do it. I don't want you to tell me about it. I want to do it. Okay. If we're going to jump off a building, well, yeah, I'm a physical guy. Show me how to do it and I'll do it. You know, if we're going to drive stunt cars, let me see how to do that. And so it was a very, we seem like we found this nice intersection or even niche, if you want, where we're all movie fans, but at the same time have enough of a skill set that we can do like, I don't know what the term would be, like participatory BTS stuff where it's like, yes, we're going to take the audience behind the scenes, but instead of just interviewing, we're going to friggin' do it. And you can come along with us for the ride. Hey, jump off this building with us. Great. So um, I guess it's a nice intersection of, uh, nerdy fanboyness and either skill or lack of sense that makes one willing to um, jump in and do stunts or sword fighting or whatever. So I yeah, probably, that's what it is. I think probably the most dangerous thing that we did, um, well, I mean, there's, there's, there's a long list and what I would think is dangerous would, would not necessarily be what somebody else thinks is dangerous. Right. Um, Cause you know, like working with live weapons and stuff like that, that's my thing. You know, and, mm -hmm. and uh, but when Jason decided that he was going to blow fire, that I was like, you know what? I I, I was I was I like had our attorney on speed dial. I like th this is you know, <laughs> and, and Jason has got, the, you know, at that point, he had this enormous uh, Aquanet hairdo that you know, look like it was going to just <laughs> burst into flames all on its own, much yeah, less with, with help from the lighter and some hairspray. And Jason, he was quite cool <laughs> with his hairspray. But, yeah, but I mean, when he decided he was going to blow fire by what, what did you use? 151 rum or something like that? It was something crazy. And yeah. was high, high test liquor to blow fire. And, you know, it's in the, it's, it's in the episode of him doing it. And that's yeah. a for real thing. And we were like, holy crap. And, um, but it was just, you know, we, we, for some reason, one, one or more of us are always like, yeah, you know, I'll do that. <laughs> uh, we, done fire we haven't done we, fire whip yet, have we? We have not done fire whip, but we've got to do fire whip for maybe, maybe we'll have uh, Jason light my fire whip with, uh, you know, some 151 rum and <laughs> that sounds filming. Get your wife to light your fire. I already got the job. I'm not auditioning. Yeah, you know, I, you know I, I, I didn't say a word when we talked about your blowing fire, you know, but you have. Oh, Lord almighty. Oh, dear Lord. Actually, I did. Um, got that I, didn't tell you, <laughs> I didn't tell you guys this at the time when that was my. Done at all. Yeah. <laughs> when I was um, my 21st birthday. Okay. My, my birthday's on New Year's Eve, right? Uh, so my 21st birthday there. Uh, 
I have a brother who's a couple of years younger than me and he would invite a bunch of his friends over and I'd buy them all beer. And that was our, yay, we're having a party for you. So one night I was super mad out of control and there was a fight going on upstairs and I decided, Oh, okay. I'm going to put a stop to this by being badass. This is 21 year old Jace, right? My plan was I'm going to kick open the door dramatically light a cigarette and then they'll just be intimidated and leave. So imagine six feet tall, got my big fluffy aquanetted hair, motorcycle jacket, boots with skulls, right? I go and I kick in the door, boom. And everyone turns and looks and I dramatically take out a cigarette. And I tap it, put it in my mouth. I didn't smoke. I know where I got it. I dramatically shake this butane lighter that I did not know it was gas. So you have to bleed them first before you use them. Put the lighter to my face and set my hair on fire. <laughs> That's a wild coyote uh it fly it goes and goes back and i'm standing in the doorway i just kicked open the door took out a cigarette lit lit my hair on fire and i just took a drag and turned and walked out and was like mikey throw those guys out because at this point there is no way to regain your cool and the had not thought about that in years until i'm standing in the bar and ian the bartender goes anybody want to blow fire and i'm like um yes (laughs) so i feel like i've redeemed myself i've blown fire twice and only set my hair on fire once. But I'd be curious to know with that, because I was going to bring that up about the blowing of the fire. Was there something you had on your finger? Yes. They, yeah. um, the way it works, and Ian apparently does this as a stunt for, um, bar t- for you know, clients on rowdy nights. Um, he gets you the shot glass of uh, 151, which is very high alcohol rum. Mm-hmm. You stick two fingers in it. It's flammable. You take it out. He lights the rum that's on your finger. Then you put the rest of the shot in your mouth and blow. But it's all 151 is what's burning. So hopefully if you do it quickly enough, you don't burst into flame. It seemed to go well. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I grew up in Moonshine County. Don't even get me started. Oh, well, see, the, oh, that's two stories. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll be real quick. My 151 story, uh, 151 rum, was um, after shooting all night on the sword and the sorcerer. You know, we're down in the water. Uh, they flooded Bronson Caves, which is an iconic um, you know, film location in L.A. where they, they took, instead of going out on location, they took a hill uh, at the top of Bronson, you know, which is in Hollywood, and um, dug three tunnels through it. So it has probably been in more pictures and commercials and you know films than anything you shake a stick at. And for this, they uh, uh, they flooded it, and we were walking through and being under the cave. One of my one of my favorite lines in film was, uh, you know, uh, we're breaking in, and I'm playing Rodrigo, my last ingenue. I think I was around thirty at the time, and uh, I say, could be dangerous. You go first. <laughs> so we filmed all night and we're, we're back and we get back to the uh, trailer and they're uh, trying to not have to pay for a second meal, you know, because that's one of the good things about unions is, you know, you get meal penalties and shit like that, that uh, when you do long hours can add up. And they, um, you know, so they're, br- they're bringing in some, uh, you know, some McDonald's things and fish sandwiches at, you know, like six in the morning after you've been up all night. And uh, saying Roger Corman was trying to save money. No, this, <laughs> this is uh, um, V. Neal was doing the, the makeup, you know, and be, be very famous, you know, oh, okay, an Academy Award winning uh, makeup artist. And um, uh, so she and she says, 
you want a shot of 151 <laughs> and instead of mcdonald's i went yeah let's go with that so you know we 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 had a couple of those so those those were pretty nice what else did you start oh um see see who simon um, it was traditional that if you studied with Sifu Simon and you were very fortunate if you got to, um, there's a long list of very fine martial artists, not the, not the least of which are these two. Uh, but you would train, you would work in this Chinese restaurant with great food and you would train in the parking lot no matter what the weather was. You know, so this is cool. And um, I happened to be back a second time, you know, to Karate College and Sifu Simon invited us all over where he would treat us all to a huge meal. And uh, James, you know, did a full-on kung fu demonstration in the middle of the restaurant, which was really cool. But um, I'd asked Jason, I said, can you give me some moonshine? Because I've always wanted to try some real moonshine. And boy, you know, you unscrew the top of that and it's it, there's cornfields. It's like you're in Field of Dreams. You know? <laughs> oh, Field of, I don't know what kind of dreams I'm going to have. But, um, uh, you know, Sifu Simon... Uh, decided he wanted to try some too. And so we have the teacups that we normally have and we're filling this up and my jar, you know, my bigger than a quart jar full of moonshine. And it ended up with about this much of it, you know, left by the end of that evening. Uh, I, I got stuff in the fridge all the time from uh, the Carolinas. I'll put it that way. <laughs> it's funny. What I chiefly remember about that is, you know, I called up my dad um, I am the first generation of my family that has not run moonshine. Um, tells you what you need to know about the Appalachians. Uh, Dad hasn't done it since. <laughs> That's he got why caught. you don't drive very well. You know, we still on the road, <laughs> but we still know people. And so I made a few calls, and Anthony wanted to try some shine, so I got him some good stuff. And he's sitting there drinking it out of the mason jar, being very stereotypical. But and then you know they start be going in the, the tea, teacups and the whole time Sifu Simon is just sucking this stuff down and talking about how it's not very good he's like oh yeah not good not very strong poured another one slammed it down yeah I have better before pours another one slams it down Anthony's just sitting there politely watching his jar disappear that's <laughs> it the question would be when did it hit him either I'm not sure it ever did either yeah. uh, I, I either the drinking was helping me understand Cantonese better. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what, but what started as a, well, we have here as a failure to communicate <laughs> well by the end of that moonshine. Uh, Jonathan, Jonathan, this is a guy, our, our Sifu, this is a guy who Jason literally broke an aluminum practice sword on his oh. face. Oh. And it snapped <laughs> the sword he hit him so hard in the face that it snapped the sword and the guy never took a knee and you know and and jason still got the sword and it's it's oh, like amazing you might mention it was by accident <laughs> it was by accident it was by accident but you know it just it just happened that you know he was walking on and jason didn't see him and was doing a blind twirl and hit him in the face and um but he didn't take a knee but it, wild guy but um uh, a lot of stories about him, but it, but it was good practice, you know, because working with a um, martial artist like that, you know, when we when we came to Hollywood and we got to work with like Eric Lee and uh, Gerald Okamura and and those guys, um, you know, we we were right in step, you know, we didn't we we never we didn't miss a beat, 
with those guys. And we could, we could kind of talk the same, same choreography and the same movement skills. Well, I appreciate seeing Eric Lee talking. We, you guys were during your stories earlier, we're talking about how you would uh, be more practical versus I guess, digital. And, and Eric was talking about, well, this is how I would do it, but it would also be in real life do it the same way. Well, and that's, that's what's to me, that's what good choreography is. I know, I know when I work, I try to create the environment for the technique that we've chosen because it drives story and reveals character. But I try to create the actual environment for that energy to be logical and correct. So the audience can see the jeopardy. They can see how it's, you know, um, um, you know, how, how it's in response to something very specific. You know, it's not just a lot of sword waving or a lot of, you know, flowy hands that, that aren't really doing anything. And uh, so we really appreciate when um, people come, like everything I do, uh, and then the gentleman you're mentioning, it comes from a combative background. It comes from, here's how to really make this work, and you'll never see it until I, I've already hit you, but here's how we take that same move and open it up enough so the audience can see the jeopardy and then either the success of the blow or how it's redirected or evaded or foiled, you know? And so you end up, um, I refer to this action or, uh, well, choreography is action dialogue. You have verbal dialogue, you know, which is script, and then you have physical dialogue and that's what action is. And the most effective stuff is things that come from a combative background, tell a story, reveal character, and get you emotionally invested in the in the the scene and the character's journey, and it goes back to what you were telling me before, as far as when you were working with a Jet Li, Anthony, that whole pokey 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 story. Yeah, the, well, yeah, he and well, you know, Wu Ping thought that ha, that Western swordplay was what he had seen in the movies. Yeah, pretty awful for the most part. And no, no good swordsman ever goes pokey, 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 even when they're all overcome with emotion, because uh, every time you withdraw, every time you chamber, you've created an opening that somebody's going to flow, flow into that. Um, so, you know, I went, oh, geez, he thinks this. And I don't want to, you know, ruin our relationship. First phrase of the fight. I'm going to give him three thrusting attacks, which is what he wants, but I'm, I'm going to do them true to the weapon and true to the, you know, the style of that particular warrior who happened to be a Spanish, you know, saber expert. I'm not going to pump my arm and, you know, do that. So I did. And, um, they, that, that led to the, uh, this Guaylo knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was pretty nice. Was there something you know a little bit of Chinese? Sorry. Sorry. Go on. Just say again, Jay, 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 uh, sorry, Jason. Oh, I just said, uh, see, you do know a little bit of Chinese, but, but uh, that was not worth interrupting for. Go on. Oh, okay. Uh, you start, you're starting to ask a question, Jonathan? Yeah, I was going to ask for all three of you, and it comes back to everybody having multiple disciplines and such, but was there something when doing the series that you were really impressed to learn? Nah. <laughs> well, well maybe that heard. stick fighting Anthony did. <laughs> okay. Who wants to go first? Uh, go ahead. You guys go ahead. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll go first. For me, um, it was so 
amazing, you know, so Anthony was, was a, was a guest on the show who became, you know, someone that we worked with and became a host on the show. And, um, and Michelle was, was the same way. And when, when we, when we started to really um, go around and meet these folks, I think what ended up happening is when we were talking to them, they realized that we could hang with them and that we could do some of the things that they, that they really wanted to show us. But most people weren't, you know, either willing to go through the pain of, of, of the demonstration or didn't have the skill set to keep up. And that was really sort of our secret sauce. And I learned so many things and had so much fun. I mean, I, I, I can't even I can't even begin to tell you what the best part of it was, um, but you know certainly highlights were were working with with Anthony and you know and and everything that he brings to the table, which which in and of itself is an enormous smorgasbord of of knowledge that most people would spend four lifetimes putting together, and then you know having uh, Eric Lee and Gerald Okamura demonstrate technique on you. Um, and, um, was, was truly a highlight for me. And I, I liked all the stunt stuff, jumping around and flying off of things and driving cars and all that stuff was amazingly fun. But for me, it was the martial arts, getting on the mat with judo, Gene LaBelle and, um, you know, and, and being choked out at his school. And, you know, it, as a martial artist, to me, those things were, were irreplaceable. And I would never have had, been able to have that experience had it not been for the show. And, um, so for me, that was the, that was the, the strong part. Jason? Well, I'm having two thoughts. Um, number one, <laughs> at the risk of sounding like I'm kissing. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Right. At the risk of sounding like I'm kiss, kissing his ass, uh, I did, I've had a few very, very, very good martial arts teachers in my life. And Anthony has not only become my uh, friend, but he's become my teacher. And he has taught me not only real martial arts, but the real martial arts and film martial arts are not the same thing. They're, they're, they're a parallel skill set. Uh, Anthony often says uh, one must become an expert in not hurting people while still looking, you know, whatever. So uh, he taught me not only a bit of what he knows, but how to channel what I know into looking dynamite on screen. And I've been, I've since, you know, since we started this thing, I've done 30 some films and a few TV shows. So hooray. Um, the other thing I have to say, you say of all the things that we've encountered, and I realize we're talking a lot about martial arts. Um, I think every other time I've told anybody about my time in Hollywood, they're always like, did you meet anybody famous? And we're talking about the fine points of techniques or, or, or whatever. But uh, when I was thankfully standing off to one side and Gerald Okamura brought out that tampon container at, that, that was actually two stainless steel spikes hidden in an empty tampon container and proceeds to show the many different ways he could kill James with it. <laughs> that, was, that was one of the more entertaining moments in my entire martial arts career. I'm like, yeah, I'll be over here behind the camera guy. Um, <laughs> Kill James with a tampon. Go ahead. <laughs> that's that's what I lovingly refer to as weapon of opportunity. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And and that's one of the fun things about um, you know I uh, 
well, I think I may have said this in the interview that I did with you before that, you know, I have a mantra that helps keep me going now um, that if I'm not getting better, I'm just getting older. And there's only one of those things I can do anything about. So I keep, I keep trying to add to the skill sets. I keep trying to, you know, learn more. And of course, you know, knowledge is, knowledge is choices in the, the in the theatrical area. Well, it's also choices partially, but knowledge is choices and your art is in your choices. So I find that um, all of the things that I've studied, you know, and uh, they all come together at some point, the ribbons of truth, you know, we've talked about this before, mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, you start and, and what I, what I teach to people, what I was just working with this actress on, I was, I'm giving a structure that is martially based, but I've distilled it down into something that is easily digestible. So that in, because one of the things in the film business is you never have enough time ever. Um, and you've somehow got to turn, you know, uh, adversity into opportunity. And a lot of that comes from, you know, how can I, you know, uh, how can I make something out of no time and almost no assets? And all of those structures and all of those disciplines that we've studied, you can utilize with almost anything. The only thing that anything you pick up, it's an inanimate object until you pick it up. And then it's an extension of your will and your skill. So basically, um, all of the things you study, uh, I can utilize that with any found weapon of opportunity um, to tell a dynamic story, but also something that's based on, oh, look, look what I could do. I mean, it's one of the things you love about Jackie Chan. You kind of go, he's in a room. What's there with him? It's going to be a weapon. I never saw a stepladder be a weapon before, you know, or, but it, I, I use that. I'm kind of like going, well, we don't really have anything, but okay, I've got a belt or I've got a, um, I was doing a, a piece with, uh, with, a, with an actress where she's going against, you know, two guys who are bigger and stronger than she is. And they're armed with guns and what is, you know, and she, um, she, knocks you know she gets this guy and smashes his face and pulls his belt off and now she has a bit of an equalizer so she's able to use this to distract and to envelop and, and to do stuff so it's just you you don't run out of ideas if you keep feeding yourself with knowledge and that makes it kind of fun one one thing uh you know with um james uh, when you guys came up to the ranch um <laughs> I'm a weapons guy. I don't want to wrestle with you. Stay the hell away from me. You know, and that's the advantage. Of <laughs> you want me? You got to come through this to get there. There's real estate. I'm going to make you pay for it. Um, the whip happens to be one of the things I'm proudest of that I actually created a system that is more efficient, more effective, more accurate. Uh, point system happens. And, um, you know, that, uh, uh, anyway, it's just um, I, I, I'm very I'm very proud of it. Uh, and as uh, you know, um, James was saying, from long range, I make it very difficult for you to close. But as you close, with you know, just turning my hand over, now I have a doubled up garden hose, or I can you know I have the baton in my hand, so all the collie comes here, or this becomes a nunchuck, or it becomes a rope dart, or it becomes a flail. Anything you've studied, or it becomes a submission tool, you know, becomes you know very eloquent with the whip. Uh, I've never been, um, I've never been a great grappler. Um, and I've never, <laughs> I've never really been able to do a hip throw very well. And James was demonstrating to me some, um, you know, some of his most excellent jujitsu. And I've kind of uh, here like this. So it's, well, it's like with your sword stuff. If you do this and then cut Kesa, which is a diagonal cut. And I'm going, 
why didn't you tell me this before? You know, uh, because one of the things that, you know, and I find as a teacher stuff, it's real easy for people to get lost in the minutia. You know, one lifetime isn't enough to learn everything about any art. But the more arts you study, the more you start informing yourself and realizes, oh, there are combative foundational elements that connect the arts. But, and a good teacher will go, you're not getting this at all. You're, fo you're overthinking this and focusing on, you're getting lost in the minutia. Let me, let, let me, you know, simplify this for you. And as soon as you said, oh, cut case off. Yeah, well, it's like, you know, it's like with uh, Michael Madsen. Okay, so we interviewed Michael Madsen, right? And we, and, and Jason asks him a brilliant question about um, his, his character in Reservoir Dogs. And Michael goes into this, um, into telling us about how he sort of developed that that famous moment with the with the ear and it was and it was interesting to hear him walk through it because it was him being very very thoughtful and introspective as an as an actor trying to figure out how this person thought and beyond just you know reading the script and his and and him figuring it out and it's you know the the the, the parallels with with um with what anthony was thinking about the about where are you and what are you doing and what do you have and fight choreography and all of that. And, and he was using those same kind of mechanics inside of trying to figure out how to be an actor in that moment. Sometimes it gets lost in, in, in choreography, you know, and they, they're just inserting a fight. Right. Uh, but it was interesting to hear him walk through it because we just, you know, we'd been talking to Anthony about that, about how to build in layers of, of meaning inside what you're doing. And Jason, you want to share with him about, about the, uh, talking to Michael Madsen about that, about that moment? Well, I mean, you can, wa no, watch the show and see it. But no, he was, uh, <laughs> it was interesting. He had a whole take on, you know, oh, gather thoughts and speak. Uh, he said a lot, most of which made it to the episode, but uh, he had also been partying all night. So anyway, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the um, yeah, Michael Madsen, no way. But so he was talking about developing his character and this, 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 that, and the other. And he said when he got to the part where he um, cut off the ear, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen Reservoir Dogs, but if you haven't, shame on you, uh, said he cut off the ear and he's doing his whole thing. And Quentin says, okay, now toss the ear, toss the ear, toss the ear. And Michael said he's thinking, well, I don't want to toss the ear. This is the most interesting thing in the shot. And so he figures out all these different ways to use the ear as a prop. And then finally, can you hear me now? And then he throws it. And what was the most iconic scene in the movie? That was the one. And then Michael and I got off on this weird, weird tangent talking about Humphrey Bogart that I think about half of it made it in there, but maybe we'll put that on bonus features or something. I was thinking of uh, two things within that last set of answers there. One with what Anthony said about teaching different disciplines and, and I go back to me and Anthony's previous conversation about Benny the Jet in terms of teaching Patrick, Patrick Swayze you know with using his dance background to go up oh, now this is how I'll teach you but Jason also mentioned as well about as far as stunt work and everything 
in terms of not hurting anybody or at least trying not to hurt anybody. But I maybe you guys can confirm this because there was a story I heard years ago reading a book that I didn't do it. No, it wasn't you <laughs> this time anyway. Uh, but there was a story that I heard that Steven Seagal used to work heavy in all his films. And what I mean by that is that guy, instead of trying to work and protect with the other stuntmen or the actors and stuff, they would end up going to the ER because he wouldn't, say, pull his punches or anything and try to get. May I field this one, gentlemen? Go ahead. I was actually um, for about a month, month and a half, a few years ago, I was attached to what was supposed to be a Steven Seagal film. And um, what happened was the guy, that, the uh, producer that was doing, um, what was it, Kickboxer, whatever, the, the Kickboxer sequel that they did with Van Damme, uh, they, the two, two producers um, had a falling out, went their separate ways. One had the Kickboxer title, the other one had Jean-Claude Van Damme, and they were going to make separate movies, sort of a la Deep Impact and Armageddon. But um, the one that had the title but didn't have Van Damme contacted Seagal about coming in and playing that, that role that, that uh, Van Damme was going to do. So I was attached to that one until they reconciled. And, you know, as always happens in Hollywood, it goes through 17 different permutations. And it ended up just being Van Damme. Movie. But when I was attached with Seagal, I got the talking to well one one reason that they hired me was because i had trained with james and aikijitsu and i think god i think i have what i have like a green belt in aikijitsu or something james certainly yes. not enough to be a teacher but i know how to fall down really well and so i was hired um i was attached to that based on my ability to take full power aiki hits and one of the stunt guys talked to me and they said you know Seagal, he started out on top uh, he never had to come up through the ranks, da 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 da, and they said he really hits. Uh, just know what you're getting into when you do it. And I'm like, oh, you know. And what was one of the? Uh, I won't name the stunt man, but he said, um, you know, I tell guys make sure that you know what you're getting into when you when you when you do a cigar film, and we just say fuck you, Shamu, and take it. <laughs> so there you go. That's my experience on that. So I can't directly confirm that, but I did get a talking to from some stunt guys that would seem to indicate that's the case. And I heard it seconded by another stunt guy that I know very well who works in horror and such, but has done action films. And, you know, he's been a stuntman for 40 years. He's done all genres, though. He said, Sergal, yeah. oh. Well, I won't confirm or deny. I have a few stories, um, you know, that, but it's, you know, you, you don't really like to, you know, talk trash about anybody. Um, I will say that there's, 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 there's different ways of working. When I first worked with uh, David, um, <laughs> um, well, you know, we, I mean, we just got, we got along very well. Dave was one of the smartest people I ever met. Um, if he wanted to talk to you, if he didn't, you may as well 
talk to a tree, talk to a bush, you know, because you were you weren't going to get anything out of him. But uh, we got on very, very well, and we had a lot of conversations. One of the things says, you know, I did that thing in kung fu where I brushed the spears aside and I brushed the arrows aside and stuff like that. Uh, said I'd let it hit me, and then I'd brush it aside, and you just you really couldn't tell. But he said they taught me to hit the stuntmen. They said, oh no, stuntmen like that. They like they like to be hit. So uh, when we were working together, you know, I. Uh, they, I didn't have to take much of a beating from him, but we later worked on a thing in Argentina and he was kind of, he was hitting the stuntmen kind of hard. And they, um, I could work, I could walk through, you know, I, I did a whole Yojimbo sequence with him where he had, did like 13 guys just walking straight at camera, and, um, which is, is a great credibility, you know, to see your hero constantly, mar- you know, coming for towards you, revealing who it is and watching him do the thing. Um, and, um, but he, he was making contact because that was what they had taught him. And in the many years I've been doing this, uh, I tell people, I don't care for that. I, I like a little contact to help cue, but that doesn't mean contact in the face. <clears throat> that means contact in specific places in the body. But the idea is um, you're trying to tell a story and both of you have your part of the story. And any piece of action, a simple punch has the moment before, the punch, the reaction, and the moment after. Those are all story and character telling opportunities. Um, <clears throat> when somebody hits you, you're just trying to survive. If somebody actually breaks your balance, you're no longer telling your story. You're just trying not to get hurt when you fall down. So I find it, um, sometimes I used to call it the Hong Kong mentality, which isn't really fair either not everybody works that way but um um i want to give you enough of a cue so that you can do your half of the story you know but if i actually knock you off balance then you know i've told a couple people i'm not here to be your punching bag you know if you want to tell a story together i'm all for that and we can you know we can take this up as far as you want to go and as close as you want to get to reality but i'm not here for you to punch and you know uh, I, I, it's disrespectful and it's not really good because when there are accidents, it never looks right. Um, when people actually get hit on film, it never looks right. It looks like they just reacted badly or didn't react at all, or that, you know, they're slightly stunned. They're no longer telling a story. They've just been hit, you know? And, yeah, so, well, and the myth is, is, the myth is, is that, you know, if you're a highly skilled martial artist, you will be a highly skilled uh, fight person and, and be able to, to look good on camera. And, and frankly, they're, 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 as Jason said, they're parallel paths, but they're, they're separate paths. And I think that sometimes, you know, when, when I've, I've gone into work on something and, and people are like, look at my resume or whatever, and they, and they see it and they're like, eh, um, okay, well, <laughs> what, what, what do you know about choreography versus what you've already done? Because nobody wants to, you know, to, to take a beating, but, you know, uh, early on, you know, I, I think that was done uh, a little more often, especially when martial arts movies really started to come out, you know, it was just a bunch, there was a bunch of tough martial arts guys and they weren't afraid of, of hitting each other. Um, and so there was sort of that mentality that if you, you know, if you were a martial artist working with another martial artist, then, Hey, it's okay to go a little hard. Um, and, um, 
but it, you know, it, it, it never looks right. And it, it, it just, um, and people get hurt and it's just two different things. And so one of the, one of the difficult things, one of the most difficult things, I think, if you're, if you are a high level martial artist is to put your ego aside for the sake of the project. And, and sometimes you have to, you have to lose and you have to look silly and you have to do things that, that you think aren't going to look good, but actually are the way it needs to be done to look good on film. And, and some martial artists just never get that. And, um, and, and hence, you know, they're, they're, they, it takes a lot of work <laughs> to get them to exactly. look good on screen. You, you, you're, you're absolutely right about ego. You, you have to be willing to, if your partner is in range all of a sudden, you know, never has been before, or you're in the middle of some, you know, there, there really aren't any blind spinning cuts or there shouldn't be, you should, you know, you should be able to see where the weapon's going. Um, like when I was working with Jet, you know, I had to totally commit to where he was going to be and he wasn't there yet, but I never released my fingers until I knew he was going to be there. My whole body was coming forward and the energy of the weapon was coming forward, but I never closed my hand. You know, it's it just, we, I built in the safety factor, but um, they had a, uh, um, well, what I'm getting is if you have to have a respect for your partner, don't use your partner as somebody who's disposable. Um, so if, if I'm in the middle of doing a technique and, you know, and because when somebody forgets what they're doing, <laughs> their eyes will glaze over and they will stick their face into the path of the punch. And you have to be so sensitive that you see that they have checked out and not clock them. You know, you have, you, you have to do what's necessary to, um, protect your partner. Because they are your partner. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me jump in here. Let me jump in here. All right. Because you have set this up so beautifully, I can't let it go. I apologize for interrupting, but um, off the top of my head, I say to our listeners, obviously you're going to be film fans or whatever. If you want to see, and I like the movie for its own cheese factor, but if you want to see everything that can go wrong when karate guys try to karate guy a movie, uh, watch this thing called Miami Connection that was filmed in Florida back in 1987. I think it's on most of the streaming channels. And it's um, some Taekwondo guys decided to self-finance their own movie about uh, cocaine dealing ninjas who ride motorcycles. Magic. And I will show this to people as this is what you do not do if you are a, um, I said, uh, this is this is everything that karate guys do do wrong when they try to do karate choreography and not movie choreography encapsulated in one film. Now, Miami Connection, check it out. It's Riff Tracks did a great uh, riff on it. The other one, Anthony, you have set this up so beautifully. I was not going to go there, but you've touched near it about six times. Um, talking about making sure you take care of your partner and eyes glazing over. And you mentioned War in the Sorceress in Argentina. So you know where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, true story. I'm sitting up about 2.30 in the morning and I'm reading David Carradine's book, Spirit of Shaolin. And it's interesting read, pretty much silly, but um, it's an inter interesting read. And one of the chapters, he goes off on this tangent about his death match in Argentina with Anthony DeLongis. And I was like, holy crap. <laughs> and he's talking about how he found you know, he had uh, worked with Anthony on Circle of Iron, and 
he was friends with Jeff Cooper and Anthony had been mean to Jeff Cooper. And so he decided he was honor bound as a Kung Fu guy to challenge Anthony to a death match. And he went so far as to make inquiries. If I challenge someone to a death match, would that be legal in Argentina? And they said, no, in Argentina, it's fine. And he said, and Anthony and I, we had a conflict. And then we finally, we became good friends afterwards. So by this time it's 3 a.m. I normally, I could not wait. I called Anthony and woke him up at three in the morning and said, oh my dear fucking God, I've known you for five years. You have never told me about David Carradine and you having a death match in Argentina. And he told me the other side of the story. So Anthony, would you care to give us your side of that story? <laughs> well, sure. Um, one of the reasons that I do what I do was because on uh, Circle of Iron, there was an, there, there was an accident. Um, we were all jumping around. There was every martial artist I'd ever heard, but there was nobody actually corralling these martial artists. So each person was doing their thing. Um, and there was nobody making this into a story. We had all of this tournament stuff. There's a bunch of people and they were doing things. And um, I got a little bit of input from Cam Yuen saying, you know, I want you, this character to be a little more flowy. And back in the time, I had some pretty good spin kicks and some good sidekicks and stuff like that. And, you know, so I was doing It's like your third movie, right? Mm, it may have been my first movie, huh. but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm brown belt and I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a work in progress. Um, but they liked what I was doing. They said, well, would you, we're about to introduce the Carradine character, you know, the blind, you know, seer, <laughs> the blind seer. That's funny. And, <laughs> um, so we're going to put you in a big nose and a turban and blah, blah, blah. So the first time we see him <clears throat> with his flute, the David had carved because that was David. Um, I'm in that sequence. Well, um, word comes back from Hollywood that, ah, you know, they, they have, everybody looks like a bunch of pussies. Nobody's doing anything, you know, got to go harder, got to get more footage, you know, got to uh, do this and that. And um, somebody, and I don't even remember who, it was sort of semi stepping up to be the coordinator and going, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to do this quick little insert with you and Jeff and you're going to do this and you're going to throw an elbow. And well, I've never really thrown an elbow before. Um, so basically, you know, there, you, you have distance, you have, you're out of range, you're in kicking range, you're in punching range, you're in elbow range, you're in grappling range. Um, and you have to be careful how you film those things. But anyway, what happened was we did this and it comes time to, you know, a couple of hand exchanges and I throw the elbow. Well, I start to throw the elbow and I watch Jeff lean in, you know, and that was that whole thing of, and I wasn't good enough at the time to be able to recognize that he had lost the choreography and, you know, he was, he was putting himself in jeopardy basically. And I felt the tip of my elbow just brush his cheek, but he was on the floor and it cut the inside of his cheek and, you know, this and that. And he decided for some reason, because there'd been a lot of people talking on the show that, Oh, you should be playing that part. You know, I'm kind of going, I'm just here to do a job, man. <laughs> you know, don't put me in the middle of that. But for some reason, he thought I'd done it on purpose, which I had not. Um, so when we get to Argentina, I find out I'm working with David. And David is there uh, having his wardrobe <laughs> fitting. And David has gone commando. So these poor little old ladies are down there. Well, David's doing his Captain Morgan thing. Um, but we go outside, and I'm going to give him his first sword <laughs> lesson. And all of a sudden, he comes running at me doing a jumping kick, 
you know, and all I do is I just back up because, you know, I'm, I'm not really looking to get into a fight with the star of the movie. And I thought we were friends, man. But, and he backs me up into a little tiny tree that I didn't see. That was, you know, only about the thickness of my thumb, but, you know, right in the tailbone. I just went, oh, and then he decided that um, I was an okay guy and it had been an accident. And, you know, you don't have, his quote was, you don't have a mean spirit, a mean bone in your body. And I went, well, couldn't we have figured all this out before you came running up? So there, there was no official challenge. There was no, uh, you know, none, nothing that I knew about, but what? By the time I started working with him again, I had realized I have to be good enough to not only not hurt my partner, not let my partner hurt me, you know, um, and that's it's that's true to this day. Protect yourself at all times. Uh, watch out for the guy who says, don't worry, I've never hit anybody, you know, and that means you need one more step. Every time I take a reaction, I buy myself about six to ten inches of distance. I'll take a reaction and I'll move. So I have more time to see things coming. And of course, all the, you know, all the training we do, you, you recognize the line of attack and, you know, and, but you feel the energy, it becomes a dialogue. Okay. So all the training really helps. I wasn't well enough trained there to be able to do something and have my partner forget what they were doing. Um, yeah. You know, to, to where I could read his energy and where I could read the distance and where I could react appropriately. I have, since then, and that's what I teach other people. A quick Jed Lee story. When I, when I got there, one of the things I realized that I had to prove myself, even though they had gone all over the world and I was one of four of the 16 people that were supposed to be the original fighters for that sequence. Um, he told me about this guy who was a champion. He was a champion boxer. And they brought him in and um, like first take, he punches Jet Lee in the face. Breaks his nose. So they have to shut down filming for three or four days until Jed can come back and, you know, be, be on camera again. Within 30 seconds, he'd hit Jed in the face again. Well, that was the end of him. But they didn't care, you know. Basically, they were kind of going, we don't care what your resume says. We don't care how much experience you have. Can you fit into this? And can you tell a story? And do you have enough? skill and respect for your partner not to just hit him <laughs> you know and that's that's the difference and that's what happens sometimes with martial arts guys they're used to they're used to joe you know world 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 kickboxing champion i have a picture where he is jumping up doing an aerial side kick and his foot is an inch from the stunt coordinator's nose um, I also have the, I was there on the day where the uh, stunt guy goes, no, it's okay. Go ahead and kick me. No, no, really. I can get kick me. <laughs> Joe Lewis. Uh, ever watched Bruce Lee's bag yeah. and watch the bag go up until it's horizontal. So Joe kicked him. <laughs> yeah, but uh. it was by request, but working with Joe, Joe, um, enormous respect. You know, he, he could have, he could have sacrificed me to make his movie look good. And he did not. He was, he was a perfect gentleman. It was a real pleasure. Well, gentlemen, we have, I've been really entertained with all the stories. I could sit here and go get a case of beer or a bottle of whiskey and listen to them all night. But where can folks find star stunts in action? 
It's um, streaming right now on Tubi and uh, Apple TV, Apple Pay, what is it called? Which Apple I think that actually links yeah. over to Tubi. So it's on Tubi, it's on Apple. It might be on another plat platform or two, but hell, go to Tubi. Tubi is my favorite of them to watch. Um, Tubi has um, Star Stunts action and it has a lot of 90s action films. And it also has a um, show I've been watching called The Best of Pup Puppets Who Kill, which is tremendously vulgar, but I like. But yes, <laughs> Tubi and Apple, uh, Apple TV. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, J Jason is our, you know, our cinephile, and I, although I, I can play with the classic movies, but you know, he keeps up. He he, he texts me. It's like eleven thirty, you know, twelve o'clock at night. And I'm going, go to bed. It's three <laughs> o'clock where you are. Go to bed. I don't care what you're watching. Sleep <laughs> is for pussies. <laughs> Or, or, or you might have noticed we get along really well and uh we just have to be able to get together more often so that uh we can be a little more succinct but i'm glad i'm glad you asked uh, jason where to go to find this stuff because i have no idea what tubi is other than the things girls used to wear back in the 70s that you know were bravo <laughs> but to quote a co-star of anthony's to wrap this up mr sam elliott from Roadhouse. We'll sleep when we're dead. Anthony killed him. On <laughs> screen, though, damn it. <laughs> I thought we were going to go with the dude will abide. <laughs> uh, well, I was just going with uh, Jason's uh, theory here. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rotten, rotten bastard killed Sam Elliott in Roadhouse. Mm. You'd be surprised yes. how many places we go. And I'm like, oh, this is my friend Anthony. He was in Fearless. He was in Highlander, is all this. And Half the time, people are like, huh? And I go, he was the dude with the knife in his boot in Roadhouse. Oh, that guy. Holy shit. <laughs> well, I, my, one of my proudest moments was shooting that Mercedes out of the air. You know, <laughs> I don't know if you notice how everybody else is throwing bullets. You know, <laughs> one guy, he's got his whole Elvis hips are going. And he's just, uh, oh, come on. The one guy was one of the uh, Elvis's bodyguards. So, Oh, yeah. Red. Yeah. He's yeah. his teacher. Right. Her so. uncle. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If you go, oh, well, no, we'll no, get off on another tangent here. Save us for another day. Yeah. <laughs> no, go ahead, go for it. Oh no, no, no. I was gonna, but I was, I was thinking earlier. If, if you, if you ever get a chance to, um, well, we are gonna try to get Bill Wallace on season uh, two of Star Sense Action. That, that's already in the works right now. We had a meeting this morning. Um, Bill, aside from being one of the world's greatest martial artists, I still, I use his kicking technique. I don't do it as well as he, he does, obviously. No one, no one does. But one of the many uh, past jobs Bill has had is he ran a martial arts school for Elvis. Yeah. Uh, Elv Elvis liked to do karate, and he couldn't just go anywhere and train because he was Elvis. Mm -hmm. So being Elvis, he bought a karate school, Bill ran it, and then he could just come in and train whenever he wanted to. And so Bill was part of that Memphis Mafia. And every time he would come in the summertime to uh, karate college and teach all week, yes, your yes, your martial arts skill grew exponentially the more time you train with Wallace. But the icing on the cake was you take him out at night. Uh, we'd go over to this uh, bar slash restaurant BTs and just get him telling you Elvis stories. <laughs> and he has a treasure trove. The guy could write a book. So uh, we'll have to go somewhere with that one day. But I'm like, oh, really? This just is 
how is this your life that you just hung out with Elvis and did karate for all those years? Before we go, uh, pick your cup up again, James. Just pick your cup up. Now put it, put it, put it back here where you were, and never mind, Albert. Uh, Albert, you're a little lower. Yeah, uh, you, you just had it here, and I'm looking at this. Aha! You have a minion. Uh, <laughs> going, and here, ladies and gentlemen, is Ming the Merciless. He has been in hiding, sipping his tea and waiting. Look yeah, this this uh, mug's a better one for that. <laughs> that was the one you had. Yep. Mm, see the eyes. <laughs> Uh, I will say, oh, you're doing visual jokes now. This is this is sound only because I actually looked into this. If it was going to be visual, um, I had I had tried to figure out how to do a um, filter <laughs> to do a filter and make Anthony a cat, just so he could spend uh -huh. the whole time going, "I'm not a cat. I'm Anthony Delongis." I'm going to leave that go because James's kids are in the room, so. Okay. Listen. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. It was a real thank pleasure. I hope we didn't talk. Star Stunts Action. Uh, Watch Star Stunts um, Action. We're going to do season two. We'll have more to you soon. So in the meanwhile, um, yes, watch us get to it. And I know we're going to have to have everybody back for season two, that's for sure, and tell more stories. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, cool. Thanks a bunch, guys. Football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from Pee-wee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Thinking your day is bad and really looking to make it worse? Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts there's bound to be injuries. <laughs> now that's what I call depressing. It's gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope wanna jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting now that's what I call depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars, wrinkled ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend whilst in Sail Black 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. Who the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. 
This loaded hit will be dropping soon, farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap, an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. Hi, I'm Alexandra Paul, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. 